Welcome to the Community Church Podcast, your place to belong. Thanks for taking the time to tune into this week's message. I hope that it blesses and encourages you. continue on the series called Go Disciple as we pick up again and as we lead into uh, the Easter season. And, and for me, discipleship um, is really about responsibility. In fact, Bill Hybels, uh, and it's up on the screen here uh, in a second, but, but Bill Hybels said this, that family implies responsibility and accountability. Family implies responsibility and accountability. And, you know, as I thought about, uh, you know, our responsibility in the role of discipleship, I started to give thought to what kind of, what kind of things do I use to guide me in, in, in what I'm responsible for? Because it's no small task. Discipleship is no small task. And if you haven't been a part of the series for the last couple of weeks, what we've been talking about, it's, it's one thing to share the gospel. But that's not really just what we're responsible for. Sharing the gospel is one thing. But Jesus said, when you go or as you go, I want you to make disciples, take on pupils. You're, you're going to teach them everything that I taught you and, and, and help people to discover who I am and, and to lead them into a deeper relationship with God. And so there's a responsibility. And so it's one thing to go, but we have to learn to disciple, to pour into somebody's life. But that's no small task. And it takes a lot, a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of energy at times. And so I thought about rules to live by. Now, I don't know, um, you know, what kind of rules that you have uh, to live by. Um, I, I, everyone's got rules that guide your life, how you do things. We were joking upstairs about how, you know, a rule of thumb for my kids was don't eat anything, especially on a day like today. Don't, don't eat uh, snow that's discolored. You know, that's a good rule to live by. Um, you know, I, I have one. I was thinking about this last night. If I'm walking in the woods, uh, you know, I make sure I bring someone who's slower than me in case that I'm attacked by a bear. So I'm telling you, man, survival of the fittest. I'm okay. So if I invite you to go walking in the woods, it's because I think you're slower than me. I'm just throwing it out there, you know. As long as you're not the last one, it's good. Um, but, you know, everyone's got their rules to life. You know, do what makes you happy. Uh, try new things. Um, you know, don't worry about what other people think. They don't do it very often. Like some people have, uh, you know, some of those kinds of thoughts. And so, uh, you know, I read one here earlier. Um, you know, uh, again, I was glancing through different people's rules for life. Uh, one person said, don't make your bed. You're only going back there later on, you know, kind of a thing. So my rule of thumb when we had the kids, when the girls were toddlers, I refused to clean up anything until they were gone to bed. And when I say gone to bed, like certain they are gone to bed. And Corey used to come home and go, why don't you clean up? I'm like, I'm not cleaning up five times. You put it inside the bucket or the basket, and what do you know? It's out it goes. It gets, just gets dumped out. So well, that was my rule for life. Well, everyone has a rule for life. I have rules that govern how I walk through the process of discipleship. And believe it or not, it comes from a story in the Bible that really doesn't shout discipleship. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Often we think about the Good Samaritan and about reaching somebody and caring for people, which is true. But discipleship, I, I've learned some rules to life from that passage of scripture. And I want to share that with you today. So if you want to turn with me, it's going to be up on the screen as well. Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 33 to 35. Now, we're already in the middle of the story for those that are not familiar 
with the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, there's a couple of religious leaders that find this man who had been beaten uh, by a group of thieves on, on this road that was well-traveled, and uh, he was pretty much left for dead. And religious leaders walked by, and nobody helped him out except for a Good Samaritan. Now, what's interesting to note about the story is that the man that was beaten was a Jew. And the Samaritan is the one that stopped, which culturally that would have been totally inappropriate. And on top of that, didn't make any sense because they were enemies. The Jews thought that the Samaritans were like second-class citizens, you know, that type of thing. And so, you know, for, for the Samaritan to stop is a really powerful story in and of itself. But it's the actions of the Samaritan that really grab my heart that I think are great rules to live by when it comes to how do we govern ourselves when we are discipling. Because it's not an easy task. It can get complicated. When do you do this? How do you do this? And so I want to share with you what God's put on my heart uh, about taking responsibility and accountability. Because that's exactly what the Good Samaritan did. Verse 33 says this. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And when he went down to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him uh, to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And he said, when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense that you may have. Look after him. It's really powerful because here are the challenges that I get from, you know, the good Samaritan. Because he took responsibility of someone that he really didn't have to, and on top of that, someone that he didn't really know. You know, sometimes the discipleship journey is not just to people that have already given their life to Christ. Sometimes the discipleship journey starts before they ever get to that place. And sometimes how you act or react or how you encounter, how I encounter individuals actually begins to help people on the journey of discipleship because they're beginning to discover who Jesus is through your actions and response. And so sometimes it's with people that you don't necessarily know. I remember years ago uh, reading a statistic that said that, you know, even the most introverted person will influence up to 100,000 people in their lifetime. Like a, a complete introvert. Maybe you understand, like you're, maybe you're a bit of an introvert yourself. I can be a little bit of an introvert. Some people don't know that about me, but I can. I have moments where I just want to be alone, hang out by myself, you know, just me and the dog. And, you know, and everybody's out of the house. I've shared that before. But, but just imagine the most introverted person by their lifestyle, by their choices, by how they do things, how they react and respond have the ability to, you know, to influence 100,000 people in their lifetime. That's just crazy. So you can imagine the most extroverted person, what they do, you know, like a million. You know, I don't know what it is, but, but it's kind of crazy. And, and the point of it is that no matter who you are, your, your life influences people. Your actions, your attitudes. And if there was one thing about the Good Samaritan that I, that I learned when it comes to discipleship and responsibility is... I'm reminded through the life of the Good Samaritan and his actions that we, in the, in the journey of discipleship, we are actually responsible for what we have and what we, what we choose to, to give. And so you notice that the Good Samaritan, what he had, he had, he tore his own clothes, right? He tore off his own clothes and he, and he created bandages and he used his own wine. And, and listen, the discipleship journey is going to require us to use what God's placed inside of our lives. 
Sometimes that's resources. Sometimes it's a sacrifice in that area. Maybe it's giving or, you know, maybe it's time or whatever. But, you know, one of the other things that sometimes we overlook is that especially when we're in seasons where we're going through something that is so much bigger than ourselves. We often ask ourselves, God, why am I going through this? And then a few weeks later, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but a few weeks later, a few months later, all of a sudden you find yourself encountering or interacting with somebody that is going through the exact same thing that you just went through. And, and I felt as I was looking at this, it was one thing to say to everybody here today, hey, listen, one of the things that I, I govern is I look at my life and I look at what God's blessed me with in the way of resources, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, my, you know my understanding, my knowledge, uh, my ability to do things, or whatever it might be. But we often forget that sometimes the experiences that we go through, though I don't necessarily believe that God leads us to all of those. Sometimes we make choices and we find ourselves in those situations because of our choices. But God being so gracious and so merciful still uses those situations, gets us through that. And I think part of it is not only to give him glory, not just so you and I can see God's hand on our lives and, and get us through a moment. But I actually see God using that as well to touch the life of somebody that you're going to disciple. I mean, how many times, in fact, it was interesting, I was telling a story about Jonathan, uh, Pastor Jonathan, our new youth guy. If you haven't met him yet, you gotta meet him. Uh, and Rebecca's not here today because of her schedule with uh, nursing and finishing up school, and so, and they haven't fully moved here yet, so you won't see her as much for the next few weeks. You'll see her here and there, but, but as much as she can. But, but I was telling a story about, on Thursday night about how you know, Jonathan, and I was totally off script. I didn't even think about it, but, but, but Jonathan has, has been staying with his dad for the last week, and, and I remember Jonathan going through, um, you know, the process of forgiving his dad when his dad left the family and went down east. And I remember JJ was a, a student, and, you know, at one point we just got to a place in his faith, and I said, you know, JJ, at some point, as much as I understand the broken home, and, and I understand that, you know, in the natural, you're, you know, it's, it's easy to be angry with your dad. And most people would say, absolutely, it's justified. But I was like, JJ, at some point as a follower of Jesus, forgiveness is not an option. It's a part of the journey. So I'm telling the story about how, you know, JJ, I believe, was the first of his entire family, six kids, uh, that actually went. He was the first one that did it. He went down to the East Coast when he was, uh, uh, I guess, late teens to visit his dad so that he could tell his dad, hey, dad, I forgive you. So I'm telling this story on Thursday night, and, and all of a sudden, uh, one of the guys from the church here that comes on Thursday nights, he, he comes to me, tears in his eyes. And he said, Pastor Craig, I have for 40 years, I have not forgiven my father for 40 years. And tonight, I feel so convicted because of this young man's story that you shared that I wasn't even planning on sharing. It was just off the cuff. And I know that I've got to get to a place of really forgiving my father for what he did to us. And I've held it against him, and he's not alive today. That's what breaks my heart. But for 40 years, and for the first time, God grabbed my heart. And I can't shake it today. So we prayed right there. I'm telling you, 
don't ever discount some of the stories that you and I might walk through, the moments that you and I might walk through that are difficult, challenging. It's hard. And God brings us through it. And your, your story, your, in fact, your story is probably one of the most useful tools in discipleship because it brings to life the work of God in, 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 in your life that can be done in their lives. And it makes it possible for them. And so for me, one of the things that govern is I'm going to be responsible in giving whatever I can, whatever I can use to disciple, whatever, whatever moment, whether it's formal, informal, I'm going to do my best to pour into this person with whatever God has given to me in the way of knowledge, understanding, or experience. But when you go into that story, what I love about the story about JJ, and it's actually the reason why I started sharing it, is because, you know, often in ministry, you know, I didn't grow up in a broken home, so I don't necessarily completely understand, even though I've sat with many people, you probably have done that, that have come from a broken home. But when I meet somebody that has, I like to connect them with somebody else because their experience can, can actually bring something in the way of more authority, a little more weight because they've lived it. I haven't necessarily lived it, even though I've had many conversations with people and walked that journey with them. J.J. has an understanding of that that I don't necessarily have because he's lived it. And he knows the process. He knows how long it took to get to a place where he was willing to go down and to forgive his dad. He knew, you know, what it would take to sit there and actually say the words to his dad and, and to go through that process. And, well, I can, I can understand it, but I don't necessarily know that. And, and what I love about the, the story of the, of the Good Samaritan is you notice that the Good Samaritan didn't just you know, do this all by himself, but there was a point where he actually brought the innkeeper in. You know, you'll notice that in this passage, and I love this, and, and, and you know, when you look at the, the, what the Good Samaritan did here, he, he was responsible in giving what he, he could. So, you know, the scripture says that he stayed, right? He, he picked him up, he brought him to the inn, and it was the very next day. So he, to me, that sounds like he stayed all night long. He took the responsibility seriously, but at some point, just think about this. He was on his way somewhere. He had stuff going on. There was, you know, something was happening. And by morning, he absolutely had to go. But, but he didn't want to leave, you know, the, the, this wounded man who was left for dead that he had just picked up from the road, that he had put some bandages on and all this good stuff. And, and he wants to make sure that he's still cared for. So he goes to the innkeeper and says, listen, I have to go for whatever reason. I got to go. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, can you please continue to look after him? He came to a point where he couldn't do much more. And so he brought somebody else into the picture. So you know, one of the rules that I use to govern discipleship is recognizing when, I can, when, when it gets to a point where I can't do much more in the way of a specific area. Something that's beyond us. So in a pastoral role, it's, it's when I sit down with somebody, I recognize that what we're talking about requires, say, a counselor. Or in the case of, you know, a situation like JJ where I meet somebody and I know that they're really wrestling with the forgiveness. And I go, you know what, I think I will, you know, I will shift them towards JJ. But, but can I just say this? It's not a hands-off approach. The innkeeper was in addition to because the scripture says that he says, listen, look after him, and when I return tomorrow, 
when I return tomorrow, meaning, hey, listen, I have to go for whatever reason. It's beyond me. I can't do anything. Something has restrained me, restricted me for whatever reason. And so, but I will be back. But in the meanwhile, while I'm gone, I'm going to hand him off to you. But, but it's not just a here, let go, let, you know, you deal with it, you take care of it. But it's in addition to me because I'm going to return. I'm going to continue this process. I'm going to make sure that he is still taken care of beyond this specific moment. It's kind of like when I meet people that have never had uh, uh, the opportunity to grow in an environment where they understand uh, Pentecostal theology on, you know, the Holy Spirit. And, of course, I'm fourth-generation Pentecostal, so it's ingrained in me. It's just natural knowledge. But I don't necessarily understand what it's like to come from another denomination that doesn't necessarily teach that. And so what I tend to do is I try to find somebody who's com come from the same background that has encountered the Holy Spirit to... To, now, in addition to, because I'm going to continue to pour into that, but there's something that they have, an understanding and experience how to walk them through this. Like, I know today's message is very practical, but I want you to catch this today. Because this is the culture that I want to instill in us. You know, it's one thing to pray for revival, but if we're not prepared for revival, there's no point. If we just think that, well, the Lord will just sweep through the place and people are just going to come to Jesus and instantly they're going to become disciples, then why would Jesus say when you go, make disciples? There's a mentoring and a responsibility that we have to take on. We have to step out of our comfort zones. The discipleship is all about coming outside of our comfort zone. It's about meeting somebody we've never met before, beginning to build a relationship, and loving on them and pouring into them. And it's not just a you thing or a me thing. This is a we thing. In Ephesians chapter 4, um, there's a passage of scripture, and I, I've thought about this many, many times. But Ephesians chapter 4, and this is, again, this is one of those messages where you're like, man, PC, you're really stretching this a little bit today. But, but I think after I read this and explain it, you'll understand. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13 the scripture tells us that God has given the church certain gifts. Now, I know this is going to shock you, but, and some of you might really have a struggle with this, but I just want you to know, according to Ephesians chapter 4, I am a gift to you. Yeah, special one, thank you. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> Very special. No, but listen to this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. I know someone's like, I'm ready to walk out of this church, man. But listen, it says this, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors. Highlight that one right now. Highlight it right on the front of your Bible. PC's a gift, whatever you want, that's fine. I, I'm, I'm good with whatever, you know, Craig, if you want to put that in there, you know. You know, the good looking guy at the front, if you want to put that on there too, that's fine. Whatever in your side of your Bible, that's good. It's awesome. If you've got your Bible on your phone, then just tweet it or, you know, put it on Facebook, whatever you'd like. It's good. I have no preference. But some to be pastors and some to be teachers. Now, can I just stop there for a second? Those are a lot of different gifts. A lot of different gifts and a lot of different uh, abilities. Apostles are individuals that are leaders that pour into leaders. Right? Um, evangelists have that skill, the passion to lead people to Jesus. Right? 
I see Heather taking a picture right now, and she's about to post this on social media. I, <laughs> I saw the grin on her face as she was coming inside the room. But anyways, I'm good with that. But anyway, so, um, but, but, but just think about that. Pastors have a little more of a shepherding mentality. Teachers, man, they're, they just, they, it's all about instruction. But, but what I love about all of this, prophets, the prophetic word, just speaking forth the, you know, the, the, what God is speaking in the spirit and all these different things. I mean, those are different gifts. And God says, I'm going to give you all of these. That means all of the things that I've given you are required in order to do what? It says to prepare God's people for works of service. To equip you and I. That means that in order for the church to function the way God has determined for us to function, it requires the work of apostles. It requires the work and the energy of the prophets. It requires the work and the energy of an evangelist. It requires the work and the energy of a pastor. It requires the work and the energy of a teacher. And collectively, together, they do what, what God planned, which is to prepare the body of Christ, the church, for, for service, works of service, to do ministry, and so that the body of Christ may be built up. You and I need apostles in our lives, people who are leaders who train leaders. We need prophets in our midst. We need evangelists in our midst. We need, we need those skill sets in order for not only for us to be prepared for to, to do work of the ministry, what God's called us for, but he needs that or we need that in order to be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's a great scripture when it comes to my heart about being spirit-filled that we would experience as a body the fullness of what God has for us and the way of his promises and who he is, that our lives would be transformed. So that when we are doing our community engagement, we're not just there, but we are there as a light. We are there as salt, and we're causing influence. But, but it needs all of those gifts. Now, here's where I think it might, you might think it stretches, but I don't think. Because when you look at Paul's conversation about the body of Christ, he talks about how within the body of Christ, there are many different parts. The journey of discipleship means that we have to be aware of sometimes there might be a conversation or something that may need someone to come into the conversation as you're discipling, whether it's beyond you and your ability, say counseling, or maybe it's just an area where you're going, I don't completely understand this, but I have another believer, another part of the body of Christ that I can pull into the discipleship journey, and together... Just like God says, I need several different kinds of gifts to prepare and build you up. I think God uses all of us as a collective. Want to have conversations with people, for example, that want to begin to experience something deeper in the spirit of God. Well, then I will direct them to have coffee with individuals in this church that are living that out. And it's not because I can't spend time with them, but because I want to see that grow. So I don't just bail on them, but I bring someone into the mix. I'm pointing to Alan because most of you guys know when Alan gets up here to pray, like this morning is a rarity. Usually Alan has something that God's just dropped in his heart, right? 
But that's, that's just the Spirit of God moving. You know, I, anyways, I better not, I'll keep going on this, but I'm, I'm going to stop there. But that's what I love about that. So, so if there was a rule that governed my, my discipleship journey, I just recognized that I can only give what I can give. And in those moments, I'll put someone else into that venture because I know that the discipleship journey is more of a we thing than it is a you thing or a me thing. It's all of us together loving one another and building each other up with the gifts and the resources that God's blessed us with. But let me give you the last one. The last one, when I talk about responsibility, um, responsibility to family is about giving what is needed. Giving what is needed. Because sometimes, sometimes it's not easy in the discipleship journey. Sometimes we come across conversations or activity that we know, man, this is not aligning with God's word. And so sometimes, you know, that, that, that discipleship journey will lead you to uncomfortable conversations. I mean, look at the, you know, for the, for the, the, the um, and I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a wound and you've put like rubbing alcohol on it or whatever, or, you know, uh, you know, different things like that, it stings and hurts, you know. Like sometimes the healing process is not an easy one to go through. And you'll notice that the Good Samaritan here in this situation, the man was basically half dead. And so for whatever reason, the Samaritan had oil and wine inside of his, you know, whatever, his, his pouch or whatever he had or his jacket or whatever. And so, you know, he takes it out. Why? Because those two particular things are used specifically to disinfect wounds. And so he takes what he has and he puts it on. But, 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 but I'm sure that in the moment for the Samaritan, that, that, that healing process didn't necessarily feel good. And a lot of times we, we, we forget that in the discipleship journey, there are some times where we may have to have some uncomfortable conversations. But, but it's important to have those ones because I believe that as the scripture says that, you know, if you know the truth, it's the truth that will set you free. The truth has to be spoken, but it's got to be spoken in love. But it still has to be spoken. In fact, you know, as much as we want the discipleship journey to be all joyous and awesome and, you know, and, and man, it's so good to see them growing, you know, the, the reality is that even with Jesus, if you look closely at his relationship with the disciples, there were a number of moments where Jesus had some uncomfortable and not so warm and fuzzy conversations with the disciple, right? I mean, there were moments where he said things that you're going, oh, this is not, this is not good. And, and, you know, he'll speak to it. Or, you know, I always, I always think about the sons of thunder, you know, who they just wanted to bring down fire and brimstone to smoke out some people. Like, and Jesus, I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago. There had to be a moment where Jesus is going, you got to be kidding me, guys. Seriously? Like, we've been around each other long enough. I think you figured out that, that I'm not going to do this. But he speaks to that. The moments that Jesus would get agitated or he would have, you know, strong conversations with the disciples or even the moment where he would say, hey, guys, listen, I've got to go. And because I have to go, um, there's someone else that's coming and they've got I've got more to teach you, but you can't handle it yet. I mean, they've been traveling with Jesus intimately for three years. Everywhere Jesus went, they were there. There's a lot of conversations when you're around each other 24 hours a day. It's a lot of history. And if Jesus wasn't afraid to do it, neither should we. 
Now, the trick is, yes, we, we have to do this, you know, in love. I mean, uh, I believe it's Ephesians chapter 4, if I'm not mistaken, verse 15, you know, a little later on in this process. It says this, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ Jesus. That means there are times where we have to speak the truth in order for us to align with becoming like Jesus. But I love what he writes here. He says, yeah, but you speak the truth in love. You, you, you couch that in love. I'm doing this. I'm speaking this in love. I remember years ago, we had um, one of Cora's uh, nephews come to live with us. He was living in Lab City, and, and uh, he came to uh, Chatham where we were. And uh, Madison was like a couple years ago, so it, or a couple years old. So it was probably 17 years ago when he, when he joined us. If that, maybe even earlier. You know, and he was a young guy and just learning and growing and loved Jesus and all that good stuff. And he was helping me with youth ministry and coming to young adults and, you know, all this good stuff. And, but I remember there were times where I would say to Cora, Cora, there's, I'm watching him and there's something that's just not clicking. And, 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 you know, his dad and mom aren't around. And, you know, I don't know how far we can go. He's family. I, I want to be careful. I don't want to, I don't step on your brother's toes and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if this is anybody else as a pastor, I've, I've you know, especially with the kind of relationship that I have with him, I would have already spoken to this right now because it's not in line with God. And, and I'm not blaming him. That's just, that's just growing in maturity and all that kind of stuff. But, but I got to speak to that. And, and, you know, Cora and I would talk about it, and she's like, Craig, listen, like, we know that that's part of our role. We've talked to, you know, her brother about this. And I'm like, okay. And, and it's not an easy conversation. And I can still see myself now in our house in, in Chatham sitting in a rocking chair, not because we're that old, but, you know, because we had babies. And so, you know, I love the rocking chair, man. Like, it was great. But, and I remember sitting in the rocking chair waiting for him to come home you know, later in the evening, and I would sit there, and I'm like, hey, dude, can we, can we just chat for a few moments? And that's when Cora would make her exit, you know, because she doesn't want him to feel awkward. And, and I'm like, dude, listen, can I, can I just speak to this issue that I'm, I'm seeing? So just tell me if this is not true, or maybe I'm misreading it. And I, I, I can honestly look back in those conversations, and actually, if anything, that brought us closer together. And to the point now where I watch him, where he's living, he's a, he's a police officer and, and living for Jesus. And he's got this incredible marriage and, and just they love God. And to watch the kind of man that he has become and to be a part of that process, just a part. I wasn't the only part. I mean, of course, his mom and dad have played a major part in that and other people. But to be a part of that. But there were times where you had to have uncomfortable conversations. The discipleship journey sometimes requires us to take out the oil and take out the, you know, the bandages and the wine because, you know, the, I mean, Proverbs even says that, man, wounds from a friend. There are times where, you know, we may have to say something that, that might feel in the moment, well, this is not comfortable, this is not easy, this is not good, and yet we need to. I, I love what Hebrews chapter 12 uh, verse verse 11 says, um, and I don't have it up on the screen because it was something that I just uh, just was thinking. And I just wrote it down, but but no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
Discipleship. And can I just say this? That goes for us too. The discipleship journey actually is, at times, a journey of discipline. And it's not discipline in the sense of God spanking us, you know, taking out the paddle or woodshed, whatever you grew up with or, you know, whatever. I, I don't know what you grew up with. Time out, if that's your thing. I don't know. You know, now it's taking away technology. I, you know, I don't know. Like, someone's like, paddle, PC, where did you grow up? But I didn't, I didn't. I'm just saying, you know, like, I don't know what you came from. And I don't know what discipline looks like. And I think that's the reason why in the book of Hebrews it's addressed because sometimes we think of discipline because of an earthly model. It looks like it's harsh and, and, and even though we know that it's meant in a lot of cases, not all cases, but in a lot of cases meant to be corrective in nature, it doesn't necessarily come across that way. And the writer says, listen, no discipline feels good at the time. It's painful. But done right. It actually has the ability to produce a harvest. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 is, is a passage where um, there were some believers who misunderstood the coming of Christ and they thought Jesus was coming back really soon. So they decided they were going to quit all their jobs and mooch off of everybody else. And the writer to the, you know, to the church in, in, in Thessal uh, Thessalonica or whatever you want to say the name. So, you know, I heard Steve Furtick say this yesterday. He goes, I don't know the names. I just say it confidently enough thinking that you don't know either. So, but anyways, I love that. But, but what I love about this is that in this moment, the writer speaks to that because he knew that it's just laziness. That was their attitude. And he goes, that's not a biblical core value. And so this is what he says. Verse 14 and 15 says, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this, this letter. In fact, do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Wow. That doesn't feel good. That's a little awkward passage of scripture. Well, I don't, I don't believe that part, PC. Yeah, unfortunately, it's one of those things that's all or nothing with the scripture. But listen to what he says. He balances us. He goes, but do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. No discipline feels good in the moment. Sometimes when you're walking through the forgiveness journey, it's not easy to say to somebody, hey, that's been wounded, that's been hurt, and for, I'll have you come, man, but, but has been hurt and wounded. And to say to them, after, even the gentleman on Thursday night, after 40 years of not forgiving his dad, to be able to say to him, hey, listen, forgiveness is not an option if you're a follower of Jesus. It's not. The scripture is clear about that. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That's what the scripture says. You know, and, and so it's not an option. But I, for someone that's in the deep wound, and maybe, you can res maybe this resonates with you because you've been there and I don't know. But I'm sure when I said that for the first time to JJ, I guarantee you he went home going, I'm not forgiving my dad. Are you kidding me, man? He walked out on us. PC's lost it, which was a common thought about PC for a lot of years, probably still today.
but it was truth. And the truth needed to be spoken. And I'm so glad that we had that uncomfortable conversation because I needed to be responsible with the knowledge that God has given me to help instruct someone who hasn't caught on to that yet because this is actually key to freeing him more than it is about the other relationship. Because without forgiveness, if you leave forgiveness left untouched, or unforgiveness left untouched, it turns to bitterness. And that is just nasty. It will erode your life and cause you to miss out on the incredible things that God has for you. And don't get me wrong, I get it, I've always said this, forgiveness is a process, you start by saying it, you pray into it, and one day, by the gift of God, by the ability of the Spirit, He will get you to that place. That's the work that only God can do. We surrender, we speak it by faith, I choose to forgive you, but we allow God to do that work. And it, it changed, I think, the course of his life. And I'm sure that when he decided to go down east, I guarantee there was probably some looks that he got from his family. You know? But speaking truth in love so that we all can grow up into him who is the head, Christ Jesus. So can I just challenge you today that as we venture into the discipleship, maybe you're already in that mode right now. Maybe it'll be someone that'll come in. Maybe it's someone that's sitting at the table beside you or a chair beside you. As you disciple, give what you can. Be responsible, man. Just pour into their lives. But be aware of the moments where it might be a little bit beyond you. Don't hand them off, but find someone to come walk the journey with you in addition. And at the same time, be responsible by giving what is needed. Sometimes it's the awkward conversation. Just make sure that we're doing it in love. Would you all stand with me right now over this place? Thanks for listening in to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on all social media to stay updated with everything Community Church. Also check us out at www.